It surely is a wonderful thing that God has revealed his mind to us. And he's done that, of course, in his word. And that's what words are. Words are that which enabled us to take what is in our mind and put it into your mind. And that simple illustration of the wonderful gift of language. Language is not an accident. We're created in the image of God, and part of that image is this wonderful thing we call language, whereby we can have relationship. Language is the vehicle for relationship, isn't it? Absolutely. And the most wonderful thing is, the gospel teaches us, we can have relationship with God. And we can know His mind. Now, His mind blows our minds, and His mind often, (laughs) we might squirm and not like His mind. But nevertheless, it is His mind nonetheless. And uh, today we come to 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. And in this paragraph, we've been considering Peter's exhortations uh, to the wives. And men, our turn is coming, okay, and I've been sprinkling it along the way. So, But we don't leave any phrase of God's Word unturned. So we just uh, can't do any better than just following the words He's given us. And so we're at verses 3 and 4 here of First Peter 3 this morning, addressed uh, to the ladies... Uh, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and peaceable spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, it's also helpful to combine 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, combine these texts together. I desire, therefore, that men, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without anger and disputing. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but, which is proper for women professing godliness, with good works. Well, when it comes to the matter of how women dress, you'll notice the concern of these two texts, historically, is the showing off of one's wealth. That's very obvious when you read these texts. That's right on the surface. The concern is, is the showing off of one's wealth. Arranging the hair, I'll explain why that was a wealth thing. Arranging the hair, what? Wearing gold, that's wealth. Expensive clothing, that's wealth. Pearls, that is your wealth. And this is still with us today, showing off our wealth. However, If you look at how Greek and Roman women dressed during the first century, most, except for harlots, did not dress in a way that highlights their sexuality, at least not from the neck down. They could dress that way from the neck up that highlights their sexuality, but very few women in in the first century from the neck down dressed in a way that highlights their sexuality. So the historic difference presents some difficulties for us when seeking to apply this passage to our current situation. See, you could all dress like first century Rome and women, you know, and that'd solve all the problems. (laughs) Actually, it wouldn't, because if you dress that way, that would, what, draw all kind of attention to yourself. You know, if you showed up in church dressed like a first century Roman average female, everybody would be looking at you. So that's true, and so it wouldn't be good to say, well, I'm just going to dress like the women in the first century dress. That would draw a whole bunch of attention to you doing that. Obviously, there's, there's some historic and cultural things going on. So those historic differences present some difficulties for us, but the Word of God is sufficient 
to help us what we need to know. Now, regarding the First Timothy passage, we should keep in mind that Paul has the gathered church for worship, prayer, and instruction in mind. I won't take the time to prove that to you, but what, what's going on in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he's talking about the gathered church of God, how that ought to be conducted in that chapter, and he brings these issues up. Notice also that Paul addresses potential problems with both men and women that they can bring into the gathered church, and they can bring different problems into the church, and he's concerned about that. Verse 8 singled out the men, and it singles out anger and disputing as unhealthy male tendencies. It's the guys that get into the fights often. Now, the ladies fight differently, okay? We fight more just right out there in the open. Now, the ladies fight real subtly. <laughs> hey, some of you are smiling, but that's not what Paul is worried about. He's not worried about the ladies getting into anger and disputes. He's worried about the men in that regard. And so he, he writes that, verse 8, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, what? Lifting up holy hands without anger and disputing. And then verses 9 and 10 balances this instruction with the mention of a female tendency of having an unhealthy concern with bodily appearance. That's the female tendency there in Timothy. Now, let's just follow the thoughts that the text presents to us and then we'll consider how this might apply to us. First off, big thought, do not let your adornment be merely outward. That's very clear there in 1 Peter 3.3. 3. We must avoid the virtually universal thinking that looking beautiful as a woman is predominantly outward. Right? Now that's just crazy. That's the mind of God, though. In God's sight, looking as a beautiful woman is not primarily outward. That's, that's the way it is. Told you his thoughts kind of blow our minds. That is his thought. We'll see that. It's not predominantly outward. And this line of thought is going to end in verse 4 with what is precious in the sight of God. That's where verses 3 and 4 end. What is precious in the sight of God. So let not your adornment be merely outward. Peter gives four examples of outward adornment. Arranging the hair... Paul has braided hair, and the braids or the hair arrangements were filled with expensive ornaments. They were filled with gold and pearls, and those braids showed your wealth and maybe your class, actually. You know, this was a class-structured society, and if you're part of the upper class, you dressed a certain way. And women would braid their hair and fill it up of ornaments and these kinds of things. There were crescents, headbands, turbans. All of those things adorned a head. And yes, there was painting. There was makeup uh, to make your eyes look bigger and your eyelids and all of that, okay, was going on. Wearing of gold, the second thing he mentions as outward adornment, is wearing gold. There were numerous ways gold could be worn. Necklaces, bracelets in one's hair, earrings, yes, nose rings, all very expensive. Wearing gold. Pearls are mentioned. I won't ask for a raise of hands of how many women in here own any pearls. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if I know anybody that owns any pearls. I, I'm sorry, I won't ask. <laughs> pearls, that's expensive. Those are another thing that he mentions. And then he mentions putting on costly apparel. Various garments, okay, which covered from the shoulder to the feet, 
but they were made of very costly fabrics or silk or what was called purple, which was royalty, uh, how this purple dye was made and fabrics that were dyed with this special purple dye. That was the color of royalty when you wore that. And so costly apparel is also mentioned. Now that these concerns arose in the early church tells us everybody wasn't poor in these early churches. The very fact that Peter and Paul give that list and they're talking about the church tells us there were people, there were very wealthy people in in these early churches and uh, this was a concern, a concern of them. So one's adornment, one's desiring to be beautiful should not be merely outward should not be predominantly outward. So if the outward thing should not be arranging of the hair, wearing gold, pearls, costly fabrics, if that shouldn't be the adornment, what, sh- what should the physical adornment be like? If it's not supposed to look like those things, what should the physical adornment be like? Now here you might be a little disappointed because we don't have the specificity that everybody wants. Here we must use Paul's list of what it ought to look like, that the woman adorned themselves in modest apparel with proprietary and moderation. Those are the three descriptions of what the physical adornment should be. It doesn't say, you know, Dresses down to the heels, elbows covered. Doesn't say anything like that. Those three things don't specifically tell us. Okay, wear a tunic. None, none of that's there. Those are different principles. He gives three very important things, but he doesn't specifically say, stop wearing gold. Okay, doesn't say that. Modest. Okay, it ought to be modest apparel. Okay. Now, that's the New King James translation. I listed them all there. Our English translators are really, you know, they're grappling all around. So, number one, three descriptions. Modest apparel, that's New King James. Respectable apparel, that's ESV. And it, that one, what in the world does that mean? You know, are you dressed respectfully? <laughs> you know, don't come to church dressed disrespectfully. I'm sure they have a reason for that, for that term. It's not my favorite term here, but this is all the first term. Modest, respectable, and then proper apparel. Well, that really helps us a lot. Who gets to define what proper apparel is? Well, those words, okay, that's the first word there can be translated. The second word is with propriety. What does that mean? With propriety or modestly. Okay, some people translate the second Greek term as modest. Some translate the first Greek term as modest. So that's what we have there. Propriety or modesty is our second requirement. Third requirement is moderation. Moderation. ESV, self-control. New American Standard, discreetly. So there, that's how women ought to dress. Well, I'll return to those terms describing what a woman's physical adornment should be like. I'll return to those in a moment. But our next thought is, is instead of outward adornment, women ought to focus on inward adornment. Do not let your adornment be merely outward. Rather, let it, your adornment, be the hidden person of the heart. Now there's the first clear command, ladies, regarding how you dress. Do not let your adornment be merely outward. Rather, instead of that, do this. Rather, let your adornment be the hidden person of the heart. That's a whole radical different way of thinking. 
you know, when you get up and get dressed, <laughs> you think this way? I need to adorn myself with the hidden person of the heart. First Samuel sixteen seven comes to mind. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Let me tell you, that's true, brothers and sisters. <laughs> that's really true. The Lord does not see how us men see. <laughs> Some of you know what I mean. <laughs> the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And Peter goes on, Rather, let your adornment be the hidden person, what? Of the heart, with the imperishable beauty. Wow. With the imperishable beauty. Now, that's a significant expression. With the imperishable beauty of a gentle and peaceable spirit. There's the adornment, the inward adornment. The hidden beauty is an imperishable or unfading beauty. Now, there's some rarely significant things there. This beauty is being contrasted with the external beauty, which, of course, what happens to it? There's an imperishable beauty. What happens to the external beauty? It fades away. It fades away. That's the contrast. That external adornment that he describes, that's going to fade away. That's contrasted with this inward imperishable. You know what, ladies? You can be beautiful until the day that you go to glory. Right? Right? Have you ever thought about that? God says, you, Frida's beautiful. Isn't she? Oh, she is. Absolutely. If you know her, she's a 105-year-old beautiful woman. Okay? I told you God's thoughts would blow your mind. Absolutely. So that's the contrast here. It's the hidden beauty is an imperishable or unfading beauty. And this beauty is being contrasted in our passage with the external beauty, which of course fades away for all of us, men and women. And what is that inward beauty? Of a gentle and peaceable spirit. Those are the words that are brought out. Those words, the gentle word, is used of the Lord Jesus himself. It's translated meek in that passage in Matthew 11. You want, you know, being beautiful is to inwardly become like Jesus. Got it? That's what it's like. To become like Jesus. That's being beautiful. And that term is the very same term that's used. And a peaceable spirit. It doesn't simply mean quiet. I, I like the translation peaceable better than just quiet. You know, you get the idea, well, just don't talk. Well, no. It's a peaceable spirit. Peacemaking spirit. Paul also refers to what a woman's adornment should be. And he brings in another matter. The women are to adorn themselves not with braided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly clothing, but with good works. Did you catch it there? It is a contrast that's right in the text, but with good works. That's the female adornment. Okay, so, drop the focus on the outward adornment as the main focus and shift it to the inward adornment. That's what the passage obviously face value teaches. That's a complete mind renewal in a culture like ours. And uh, it needs to be thought about and encouraged. It's revolutionary when the time and the effort and the money women spend on outward adornment 
is shifted to think about and pursue the hidden inward adornment. It's revolutionary and it's freeing. It's both. Peter gives the biggest motivation regarding pursuing the adornment of the hidden person of the heart. And he says this, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, I challenge you to go through your entire Bible and make a list of the things that God says, this is very precious to me. There wouldn't be very many things on that list that are explicitly that way. But this is not simply precious, but very precious is the emphasis of that term. The lexicon gives being of great value or worth, very expensive, costly, in the sight of God. So you see, this is getting down to the issue about so many things. Whose sight are we living in? It fixes so many things when you begin really living in the sight of God. And that's where this text ends up. It's hidden, you see. Man doesn't see it directly. But God does. And it's very precious to Him. We don't have the philosopher God who cannot move or be changed. We have a God... uh, Anyways, it's very precious to him. Just think about that. So, that's the biggest motivation there. So, how do these negative and positive adjectives regarding clothing apply to our culture and the clothes that are in our closets? Okay, I've given you the, the big principles, and when we end, we're going to return back to the big principles, but yet, you got to get up in the morning and you got to put some clothes on, right? <laughs> so, how do we work this out? So, we have these negative adjectives and we have these positive adjectives. The negatives have been not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. The positive adjectives have been modest with propriety and moderation or sound judgment. we got these two lists. From the negatives, we learn that there are ways you ought not to dress. Okay, there were ways in that culture that they ought not dress. And there are certainly ways in our culture that we ought not dress. From the positives, we learn there are ways that we ought to dress from those three positive descriptions of how we ought to dress. Now, you could say, well, I'm good to go. I don't load up my hair with costly ornaments. I don't wear gold. And I certainly don't have any perils. And nothing I own is costly because everything I've bought, I bought at Ross Dress for Less. So I'm done. My wardrobe has got to be fine. I've never found a pearl at Ross. And so I'm just going to do exactly those things, and obviously I'm good to go. Now, (laughs) I can assure you there's a lot of clothes you can buy at Ross Dress for Less that you should not wear. (laughs) I'm getting some confirmations from some of you. (laughs) They're not costly. Right? So obviously, ah, the list is different. Get it? The list is different from first century Rome to 2023 Phoenix. If the apostles wrote, now this is not a sneaky way to violate Sola Scriptura, you theological women, okay? This is not a sneaky way to try to do that. The list would be different, wouldn't it? Yeah, it might have some of the same things on it. But if Paul and Peter wrote that list today, 
it would be different. As far as the negatives, now, notice that the negatives are very specific. Not the braided hair, the gold or pearls or costly clothing. Ah, But the positives are general principles. Notice that? Modest, proprietary, moderation, sound judgment. The positives are principles. Now, a lot of person has tried to write their list in there. (laughs) No dresses above the knee. Hey, text doesn't say that. Now, if that's truly immodest, you see, the, the positives are not a list of specific things. They're principles that we have to apply properly to try to get this right. The first term, the first term is modesty. And what does that mean? To not make yourself a center of attention by the way you dress. Right? That's modesty. The way you dress should not be yelling out, look at me! (laughs) Right? It shouldn't be doing that. And that could apply to men as well, but especially to women. Modesty, it should not, you shouldn't dress in a way to center attention on yourself. Modesty. For a negative example, The Lord long ago reproved the daughters of Zion for their immodesty. Turn to Isaiah chapter 3, verses 16 through 23. Isaiah 3, 16 through 23. And you see the problem. The problem's a heart problem. Moreover, the Lord says, because the daughters of Zion are haughty, and with outstretched necks and wanton eyes. Okay, there's the... You can wear a tunic and still be sexually provocative on what you do with your hair and your eyes and all of that. Okay? So, uh, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and they walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go making a jingling with their feet. That'll be explained later in the passage. Therefore, the Lord will strike with his scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion. And the Lord will uncover their secret parts. In that day, the Lord will take away the finery, the jingling antlets. Now you see, If you couldn't get the guys to look at you, if they weren't looking at you or knowing you were there, you had little bells down. And so now they can hear you, okay? The jingling antlet. And what is that doing? Well, that, of course, is just attracting attention to yourself. Hey, look at me. So the jingling anklets, the scarves, and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, And the veils, the headdresses, the leg ornaments, and the headbands, the perfume boxes, the charms, and the rings, the nose jewels, the festal apparel and mantles, the outer garments, the purses, and the mirrors, the fine linen, the turbans, and the robes. Wow! (laughs) All of that. Now, they had a problem with dressing immodestly, (laughs) the daughters of Zion. See, there's nothing new under the sun. (laughs) So much of that, of course, is, is attracting attention to themselves. Now, the lexicon describes the third term. I'm emphasizing the first and the third. 
Modesty is the first. The lexicon describes a third term this way, having good judgment, moderation, reasonableness, dress in a way that is good judgment. And then the lexicon adds this, care and intelligence appropriate to the circumstances. Care and intelligence appropriate to the circumstances. Reasonableness, good judgment. All right, let's try to apply some good judgment on how we ought to dress as ladies. Two areas where modesty and good judgment need to be practiced. The first has been on the surface of our text here. First, look at my wealth dressing. Okay, that's not good. Look at my wealth dressing. No. That seemed to be more the problem in the New Testament churches, which Peter and Paul were writing to. Of course, look at my wealth dressing is present in our culture, but it is the lesser of our challenges. The second area in our day, of course, relates to sexuality. We are saturated with a look-at-my-sexuality dressing. We're saturated with that. Look-at-my-sexuality dressing. We're saturated with that. We have serious problems with the way many women dress in public. And those problems have spread into our churches. They have. However, as in all subjects, we cannot go beyond Scripture... Can't do that. But we must consider all Scripture which has bearing on this matter. And I'm going to introduce some verses you probably never dreamed of that have bearing on this matter. And they come out of the book of Proverbs. They come out of those earlier chapters of Proverbs. In the realm of sexuality, I think there are a few principles that should guide us regarding female dress. And I think it would be sound judgment. Proverbs 7.10 describes a woman who is not a harlot, but she dresses like one. The woman in Proverbs 7 is not official harlot, but the text tells us she dresses like one. That's right. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot. The whole chapter is a warning against and graphic description of sexual immorality. That's what the whole chapter is about. And the young man meets a woman who is not a harlot, but she has the attire of a harlot. Now, what is it about the attire of a harlot that's the problem? What is the problem with the attire of a harlot? It is to dress in a way which encourages men to lust after a woman's physical beauty and to arouse sexual desires. That's what's wrong with the attire of a harlot. It's to dress in a way which encourages men to lust after a woman's physical beauty and to arouse sexual desire. This definition also comes from Proverbs 6.25, another passage warning against sexual immorality, and it has this exhortation to men. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyes. What's the problem here? Don't dress that encourages men to lust after women. And the problem, yeah, men are at fault. Absolutely. (laughs) Men are at fault. But, Those who dress in the attire of a harlot, they're at fault also, right? Both parties are at fault here. 
how women dress, and then what men do. Both parties have culpability in this whole realm of practicing sexual immorality. Okay, and the problems that we have in it. So you see, to dress in a manner which encourages the lust described in Proverbs 6.25 is not good. Often women, and especially very young women, have little or no idea that their attire is becoming an occasion of lust and sexual desire for men. Young women especially often don't understand this, that their attire is actually becoming an occasion for men to lust after them, and their attire is actually arousing sexual responses in men. And the young ladies have no idea. But that's true. So we don't want to dress in a way that has that effect on men. And you wouldn't want that either, especially if you're a Christian. You know, you want to be known for something other than your sexuality. (laughs) You want men to be interested in you for something bigger and better than just your sexuality. And if you want to shed the guys you should shed, you might consider dressing certain ways to shed those guys. Right? And those guys that are after you only for that, just dress differently and you'll shed them. And that'll be a good thing. I'm being blunt. Not as blunt as I could be. You don't know the stuff I dropped out. (laughs) Now, it's in these notes somewhere, but I'm feeling like I should say it. Ladies, you can dress very attractively without drawing all the attention to your sexuality. That is completely possible. And we're not saying don't dress attractively. You can do that without drawing attention to your sexuality. Now, of course, often amongst unbelievers, this is all understood and agreed upon. You know, as unbelieving men and women, hey, we're in. Both parties are in. That's, that's how relationships go with unbelievers. The gals are in, and the guys are in. Okay? The gals are in to dress and highlight all the sexuality, and the guys are rooting them on. Okay, that's the relationship between unbelievers in this matter. But you're not an unbeliever. We're, we're living in the sight of God. So back to our two principal terms, modesty and good judgment. Knowing the matters of Proverbs 6 and 7 informs us, informs you of what modesty ought to include. Modesty ought to include to dress in a way which doesn't make your feminine sexuality the center of attention. That's what it is. Either toward men or in competition with one another. Okay, amongst the unbelievers, that's also going on. The ladies are competing. They're competing with each other. And it's a terrible bondage that only Christ can deliver you from. And we got eating disorders and all this other kind of stuff. The Lord delivers us from these things. And there's a freedom. There's a freedom that Christ brings. So, 
knowing these matters from Proverbs 6 and 7, I know I'm repeating myself, informs us what modesty ought to include. That is to dress in a way which doesn't make your feminine sexuality the center of attention. Now, it is possible to dress in a feminine and attractive manner without highlighting your sexuality. And believe me, ladies, if you have a young man, his head is half straight, you'll be plenty sexually attractive even as you dress modestly. Okay? You will. Right? (laughs) And every man in this building knows that. You can dress modestly and you're still attractive to men. Okay? Take my word for it. Okay? And if these other guys are honest, they will say the same thing. Right? So, as far as good judgment, that was one of our other adjectives there. The definition there was exercise care and intelligence appropriate to circumstances. Well, I've been describing some of those circumstances. That is, men. (laughs) Men are part of those circumstances. You should take these circumstances into account when you consider your outward adornment. Regarding good judgment, few ladies can achieve good judgment on their own because men are so very different in these regards from women. So, as far as good judgment, you need some input, ladies. And you need some input from some honest, godly men. You're never going to get it from an unbelieving man. You know, he's all in. (laughs) Oh, that's just fine. (laughs) Come to the office that way any time. I can tell you office stories. (laughs) Finally, one lady took the other lady aside, and all the guys were disappointed. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not much. Not much. So, in order to exercise sound judgment, you should get input from godly men. Ideally, if you're married, your husbands can give you input. If you're blessed in a marriage... Your young ladies, your fathers and mothers. Fathers and mothers, this is your role to do this, to help your young girls, your young ladies, and the young men. And if you're not blessed with those, well, then you have your elders, your loving brothers in the church. You have loving brothers in the church, ladies, young ladies, if you don't happen to have a, a family that way, that you, can, that you can get this sound judgment and a little bit of help and direction, you can get it from the elders of your church or godly men, godly fathers in the church, godly mothers in the church. So you, you need to do that. Now, here's an appeal regarding these matters within the body of Christ. And I'm going to get to the men as well. Okay, so first to the ladies. As brothers and sisters, and that's what the Scripture says, how are we to relate to one another as men and women? As young men and young women. We are to relate that way as brothers and sisters. So, As brothers and sisters, we are all called to not become occasions of temptation to one another in a variety of ways. We're all called to do that. And there's all kinds of different ways where we can become occasions of temptation to one another. And we don't want to do that. Dear sisters, you need to keep these matters in mind toward your brothers. In our culture, your brothers are constantly confronted with temptations in this area. Constantly. There is, it's virtually impossible to escape them. And you single men, yes, it helps 
some to be married. But don't you think, if your sexuality, young men, is not under control, don't you think you're going to get married and that's going to fix the fact, fix all the problems. You are naive beyond belief. Okay? Yes, it will help. Okay? But marriage is a very complex relationship. (laughs) And men, a lot more goes into that than just the visual. And you'll find that out when you get married. (laughs) So why am I saying that? I'm, I'm saying these things. This is an appeal to our sisters, is that the last thing we desire to do in the church body and when the church body gathers is to have to continue to engage in this warfare. Okay? So, that's an appeal. You see what I mean? We all are responsible not to become the occasion of temptations for others. And as your brothers, we... It's like, ah, relief. (laughs) I can have a few hours of relief, maybe, if I can control my mind. So the last thing we desire to do is to face this struggle, I've already said it, inside the body of Christ. A few conclusions here. Notwithstanding the external details regarding appropriate manners of dress, Focus on the internal adornment and beauty in the sight of God. Focus on that, ladies. And I'm just going to read the text. Do not let your adornment be merely outward. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible, unfading beauty of a gentle and peaceable spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Focus as exhorted to here, and oftentimes what happens is the outward adornment begins to naturally adjust. That's what begins to happen. When the gospel comes in power, the outward adornment, this kind of focus in the sight of God becomes more and more significant and and we change. Now, ladies, God has called you to swim upstream in our culture. No doubt about it. You talk about take up your cross. (laughs) This is a cross for Christian women in this culture, and the pressure and the ridicule. While the world makes fun of you, remember what Jesus told the Pharisees on one occasion. He told them, that which is highly esteemed among men is despicable in the sight of God. Okay? While they're ridiculing you, You are of great value in the sight of God. And you can be sure He's going to honor you and He is going to despise them. That's what the text says. That which is highly esteemed in the world is despicable in God's sight. So while God is highly esteeming you, when they make fun of you, he is despising them. But you have an upstream, you're swimming upstream. My dear sisters, you are. Men, men, we've asked our, you know, we're, we've asked our sisters for help in these matters. But they need our help also. They need our help. Our sisters are being ridiculed by the world regarding these matters. 
And when the culture reinforces the world's message to them that the external fading beauty is the big thing, we as godly men need to admire and celebrate what is precious in God's sight, which we see in our sisters. Men, we need to encourage them to be beautiful women by God's definition, and we need to acknowledge that and encourage that and to recognize that toward our sisters. And God forbid, I know this is sensitive, that we send our wives the message from the world about their physical appearance. Right? I'll say it. If you men are tangled up in pornography, seek help. Seek help. Okay? If you're tangled up in pornography, seek help. And the Lord can help you. And godly counsel and godly men can help you. Your duty is to seek help. Christ calls you to make the resources and the means of grace that he provides are there for you and you're commanded. See how it relates to encouraging our sisters? Okay? So, this is the body of Christ. May God make us precious in his sight through all these things. So that's enough. Let's pray. Oh, our Father... Your power, your redemption, your definitions, your creation of us as male and female. What a wonderful thing that is. What, what, what a wonderful blessing it is when, when you enable us to be married and the two become one and all of this. This is no accident, Father. It can be so good. And Lord, we confess at times We have messed it all up. And thank you for redeeming us and recreating us. Oh, Lord. These things, Lord, we just need your practical wisdom and help us. Help us to encourage one another, Father. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We commit ourselves to you, Lord, as as men and women, both made in your image. Thank you for redeeming us. Perfect that redemption, Lord, in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.